We prepare to hear the word of the Lord this morning. Adonai, we thank you uh, for your presence here. Uh, It is good to be in your house, Lord, and uh, that we could come into your presence, that we could uh, express our love and adoration to you, and we could receive uh, your love uh, uh, lavished upon us. And we're so grateful, Lord, and we don't take for granted your presence, God, or the opportunity we have to come together as a kehilah. And, uh, Lord, we thank you that you now have a word to speak to our hearts. We pray for ears to hear uh, what your Ruach would say. Uh, We pray that the uh, seed of your word would go deep into our hearts that would produce abundant fruit, a hundredfold, Lord, in our lives and in this congregation. We thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. So today we are starting a two-part series. So I'm doing part one, and Rabbi Michael will be speaking on part two next week, uh, entitled Fighting the Invisible Enemy. It's hard to fight against someone you can't see. You know, in the medical world, uh, it used to be that many people did not recover from heart attacks, and specifically because they were not able to recognize what was happening until it was too late. But now with all of the advancement in medical and all the things that the doctors have learned, uh, doctors know certain symptoms that are warning signs that have helped to save many, many lives. And um, spiritually, it can be the same way that the enemy comes against us, but we don't recognize what is going on. So we blame the economy, we blame our friends or our family, we blame the government or our employer because we don't recognize that what is happening in our life is a spiritual attack that we are under. And uh, Rabbi Michael and I have just been discussing and and looking around and we just see so much happening in uh, many of your lives and in the Kehillah in general that we recognize as the powers of darkness working like overtime. And, uh, and so we just really felt that we wanted to address this and to encourage you uh, on how to fight this invisible enemy. Florence Nightingale, we all know who she is, uh, said, Life is a hard fight. It's a struggle, a wrestling with the principle of evil, hand-to-hand, foot-to-foot, Every inch of the way is disputed. That's a pretty powerful statement. Hand-to-hand, foot-to-foot, it's a constant, you know, day-by-day, moment-by-moment engagement that we need to be involved in. But the reality is many times we want out of this struggle and we want to give up and walk away hoping to find a calmer, more peaceful life, and yet the kingdom struggle remains until Yeshua will come back. So we need to fight on. Uh, in this, uh, against this enemy, and uh, so that we could prevail. And that's what we're going to be talking about, how we can win against this invisible enemy. And there are four principles that we're going to be sharing today and next week. And I believe that not just intellectually understanding these principles, but my heart and my husband's heart for each one of you and for ourselves is that we would take the principles of God's word and actually apply them in our life. What does that mean? As Nike says, just do it. 
right? That we need to simply do what the Word says. What good is an owner's manual if you don't follow what it says? We all know that when we've got those, uh, you know, uh, things today, nothing comes put together. You always have to, to put it together. I remember Grandpa never wanted to follow the directions, right? And uh, I'm a direction follower. I get it out, and I follow it to the T. I remember once we were putting together a gym for Gary, and Grandpa was there, and I'm saying, Let's, oh, we don't need that. And at the end, we had a couple of spare parts, and this was his answer. Oh, you didn't need them anyway, right? But the instructions are there for a, a reason. And the scriptures are God's instruction book to us. And when we follow the, the instructions, guess what? Everything fits together. And everything works out. And so we need to understand. So the four principles we're going to talk about uh, today and next week is, number one, recognize who the enemy is. Number two, know who you are and what your weapons are. Number three, follow your commander-in-chief. And number four, engage the enemy. So I was reading an article on uh, military tactics as I was preparing for this message and, and researching. And so it says that all great warriors study battles, military tactics, history. Whatever they feel will give them an edge. Sun Tzu's The Art of War may be the most studied teachings over the ages on warfare. He was a master of warfare who lived over 2,000 years ago. Military tactics, as we learn them, have not changed very much with the passing of time, only the tools to enhance it. And here are two things that he said. Number one, the art of war is of vital importance. It is a matter of life and death, a road either to safety or to ruin. Hence, it is a subject of inquiry which can on no account be neglected. Do you hear what he's saying? You can't ignore it. And yet that's what some of us want to do. We want to like crawl into the proverbial, proverbial hole and hide ourselves. But we can't do that. We have to face it head on. And the second thing he said is that if you know the enemy and you know yourself, you need not fear the results of a hundred battle. If you know the enemy and you know yourself, and those are the two things we're going to talk about today. To know who our enemy is and to know ourselves and the weapons that we have. So when we talk about recognizing the enemy, again, friends, I just want to encourage you that our enemy is invisible, but he is nonetheless real. He's not an imaginary figure that we have created in our minds. He exists. He's real, and he does real damage in our life. And if we don't recognize who he is, we will never be successful in engaging him and it, most importantly in securing the victory. The first thing I want to remind us is that our invisible enemy is not the person sitting beside you. Look at that person. Or the coworker across the hall. Or the family member who's giving you service. We have shared this verse on so many occasions before in the past, but it's important to remember once again as we focus on who the enemy is. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we are not struggling against human beings. Turn to your neighbor and say it. We are not struggling against human beings. No, no, no. We have to really say this because this is one of the things that the enemy really gets us involved in. Let's say it to our neighbor. We are not struggling against human beings, but against 
the rulers, authorities, and cosmic powers regarding this darkness, governing this darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. You see, it is so easy to focus on the people we can see and try to fight them, but it is a battle we will always, always, always lose. Let me say it again. Always lose because it's the wrong battle. But it is a battle that our real enemy likes to see us get involved in. We constantly make this mistake, and as I said, our real enemy is happy that we do so. Why? Because we get immediate gratification to give our spouse a piece of our mind. Anyone else know what I'm talking about? <laughs> All right, that gratification, or you know, to let our coworker have it for what they did, to set them straight. There's a an immediate gratification we get from doing these things. But as I said, in the end, we've not won the battle. We've only caused more friction or tension and perhaps created strife and certainly helped to contribute to a negative atmosphere either in our home or our, our place of work. And ultimately what we have done is we have given ground to the enemy. Do you understand what happens? When we fight flesh and blood, we are giving ground to the enemy. And that's why we need to recognize that we are not struggling against human beings. To fight this invisible enemy, you need to know that he is just that, invisible. But even though he is invisible, we can understand and see and know his tactics and his strategies that he uses against us. In fact, Rav Shaul encourages us with this when he says in 2 Corinthians 2.11, we will not be taken advantage of by the adversary. Why? Because we are quite aware of his schemes. We will not be taken advantage of. In other words, the enemy will not be victorious over us because we are fully aware of his schemes. And this morning, I want to expose those schemes and tactics to you just in case you are not aware or just in case you have engaged the wrong enemy and your flesh has got involved and you are battling and duking it out against human beings I want to expose the real enemy so that you can walk in the victory that Adonai has for you and for me. Amen? Number one, he lies. Turn to your neighbor and say, the enemy is a liar. Yeshua says of him in Yochanan, when he tells a lie, he is speaking in character because he is a liar, indeed the inventor of the lie. So what does he say? I already heard these today from certain people coming up to me, and I said, boy, this is my message. I said, uh, you know, hell knows that he's going to be exposed because these things are already floating around in people's minds today. First thing he will tell you is God's forgotten you. 
you're all on your own. He also says your situation will never change. It's hopeless. It's too far gone. It doesn't matter. It just cannot be turned around. He will lie to you and he'll tell you God's promises are not for you. Everyone else will be blessed. Everyone else will see his promises, but not you. And he will give you a reason why. How many of you heard this? You're not good enough. A big one from hell because hell wants us to think that we have to earn our salvation. But God tells us it is by grace you are saved through faith, not of your own works, lest any man should boast. But hell torments people all the time by telling them you're not good enough. You're not doing enough for God. I'm exposing these. If, you, if any of these things are coming into your mind or uh, during the week, I want you to recognize this is hell. You don't need to go to service this week. Just stay home. You need to rest. Oh, I know no one here has ever heard that. <laughs> Only the people who aren't here hear that, right? Because he isolates you. And and in the book of Messianic Jews, we are told, you know, do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. There's an important reason, and we're going to talk about the whole sense of community and unity here in a few minutes. But hell will tell us we don't need to go. Just this once, then comes twice, and three and four times. And before you know it, you're isolated, and he's really working havoc in your life. He'll tell you God's holding out on you. Another lie he speaks, you can't forgive that person. They've hurt you too much. They've caused you such pain. They don't deserve to be forgiven. And yet forgiveness, and this is something my husband and I have talked about several times this week, has nothing to do with the person you're forgiving, and it doesn't say that what they are doing is okay. Forgiveness has to do with you being set free. And that's why hell will tell you, you can't forgive that person. Another lie, you will never succeed. Another lie, God didn't create the world. Evolution is a lie from the pit of hell to come against the very first verse. Bereshit bara Elohim et ha-shemayim ve'et ha-aretz. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And evolution is a lie against that truth that has been bought into by our society that we have a generation now that doesn't even believe in the existence of God. So don't tell me his lies don't work. Repeat it over and over again. You say it loud enough and long enough people begin to believe it. Another lie. God's asking too much from you. If you really do what the Bible says, you won't have a life of your own. Along with that, serving God is boring. Another lie. God doesn't heal or do miracles anymore. 
exposing these lies because I know that you have heard these things spoken in your head. This time, God won't come through for you. It's past the 12th hour, and you are like, God, you have not only shown up late, but you are like way beyond late. And so hell will come and say, God's not going to come through for you this time. Your son will never come to faith. He's too far gone. Your father is too stubborn to turn to God. Your sister, your aunt, your uncle, your spouse, niece, nephew will never accept Yeshua. You get it, right? Over and over again. We prayed for loved ones on our Thursday night prayer meeting. And my husband shared about his father. I remember when his father came to accept Yeshua, it was that January before he passed away. And it was on New Year's Eve. And I remember Christine invited us over to her house. I said, we can't come. My father-in-law's coming over. And I knew that that was the night he was going to come to faith. And he sat in our living room. And my husband looked at him. And then we've asked him many, many times before. And I often asked him. And he said, Carol, when I am ready, you'll be the first to know. And Michael looked and said, Dad, you want to pray to receive Yeshua? And he said, Yes. I can see him sitting on that little couch where he used to sit by Abigail. And Michael prayed with him, and he wept like a baby, his whole body shaking as he cried, and he accepted Yeshua. So I don't care how far gone your loved one may be. I don't care how hard and long you have prayed for them. I don't care what they have got themselves entangled with. I want you to know it is a lie when the enemy says they will never come to faith. They will never come to faith. Or he says, why do you keep inviting the same people? They will never say yes. As you guys were given cards to invite people to come next week. Again, I invited my father-in-law over and over again to come to faith. And he kept telling me no. But I didn't stop asking. And you will never dot, 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 fill in the blank. He's the father of lies, and he speaks these things over and over again. Over and over again, your mind is bombarded with these thoughts that many of you believe them as truth. And I want you to know today, they're alive from the enemy of your soul. And to cast them down, and we'll talk about this more next week when Rabbi Michael speaks about engaging the enemy. His lies are always in direct opposition to the promises of God. And his lies lead to the second strategy that he has, and that is fear. We are told that God has not given us a spirit of fear. I want to tell you, any time you are afraid, it is hell coming against you. We all know the acronym for fear, one of them false evidence appearing real, and I get it. It may be like it is so real that, that how could it not be? But that's how the enemy works. He tells those lies. You, you begin to believe those lies. And then fear comes up and tries to captivate your heart. You get anxious about things. And it just tries to control your life. 
You know, I shared this at a woman's retreat uh, some years ago. The ladies who went know, knows this. We did a, a theme one year about, uh, you know, God has not given us a spirit of fear. You know, probably a year or two before Josiah was born, I struggled with anxiety. I'd never, ever struggled before. I had people come to me who were struggling with anxiety, and I never could understand. Today I do, you know, and would try to encourage. But uh, I thought I was going to die. I wasn't sick. I mean, you know, 10 years ago, you all know when I couldn't breathe and stuff. Never thought about dying then, but, you know, I was healthy, but I thought I was going to die. Everywhere we went, I looked for the H, hospital signs, just so I would know, know where one is at, like making sure, okay, there's one here in the area in case something happens to, to me. You know, and I was grateful that my husband had been a paramedic because I'm thinking, oh, goodness, something happens to me. Hopefully, you know, his training will kick in. And, but I was paralyzed by this anxiety and fear. I didn't want to go anywhere without my husband. And I would wake him up at sometimes in the middle of the night because I was so anxious and afraid that I was going to die. And I'd make him stay awake until I fell asleep. And I remember one you know, uh, Passover, I, we needed to go to, to the Holiday Inn was what we were using at that time. I said, oh, come with me. I don't want to go alone. I just heard about a pastor's wife who had passed away in Missouri, and again, it gripped my heart. And, and my husband made me go by myself to face the fear. And I knew it was from the enemy and there was a song, and to this day, I don't even remember the song. There was a song that we were singing in the congregation at that time that I sung every night to sing myself to sleep. And it was a song based on the scripture that helped me to combat those lies. And then one day, the anxiety was gone. I mean, I, that was over 20 years ago. My son just turned 20 years old. So probably about 22 years ago. And again, like I said, 10 years ago, when I was struggling with all this respiratory Things, you know, I remember being at the Messiah Conference. I'd walk three steps, literally, and I couldn't breathe anymore, and I just used an inhaler. I mean, that's how bad it was. I mean, I know you guys were around, but I don't know if you knew how bad it really, really was. I never, ever thought I was going to die then. And I was having some serious health issues. That's what fear does. It grips your heart. He wants to grip your heart with fear. Don't allow him to do that. Recognize that it is from him. Next, these are just strategies, tactics of hell. He divides. Yeshua says every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not survive. In his first book on the Fellowship of the Rings, how many knows we, my son, remember when those movies first came out? I remember we were in the building project when the first one, my son was like this little, and he watched that movie, and it was like uh, he was telling it, and if you know my son, he tells every single detail. Right? Doesn't miss you know, one thing. So, J.R. Tolkien wrote these books. You know, he's a believer, he's a contemporary of C.S. Lewis, and he describes the camaraderie of this group that was put together for a common cause. And they were called the Fellowship of the Ring. And there's one scene from the book that's left out of the movie, and um, these people who came together were. Racially different, physically different, temperamentally different, but they were united in their opposition to the Dark Lord to defeat him. And in one section of the book, 
this heated conflict breaks out among all of these uh, uh, comrades who are here together to go on this quest. And what happens are the axes are drawn and the bows are, are pulled and harsh words are spoken and disaster nearly breaks this fellowship apart. But finally peace prevails and the wise counselor says, indeed, in nothing is the power of the dark Lord more clearly shown than in the estrangement that divides all those who still oppose him. The power of the dark Lord. And again, you know, C.S. Lewis wrote in allegories and Tolkien, even though this is not a straight allegory, he has all this imagery there about good and evil. And the point of what is said is that the enemy delights in dividing those people who are united against him. So the enemy will come to try to divide your home. He will try to divide the kehilah and to tear them apart. We need to recognize his strategy. Next, he confuses. We're told in 1 Corinthians 14.33 that God is not the author of confusion. Think about it. In God Eden, he, in God Eden, he spoke to Chava. He said, did God really say? And his purpose was to confuse her as to the truth of God's word. Confusion comes through doubt. So again, he speaks those lies. That's why I started with that and spent a lot more time on that one because that is the basis for so many of these other tactics that he used. He speaks the lie. The lie brings doubt into our heart, which then brings confusion. Yeah, did God really say that? Is that what he really meant? And he tries to confuse us. Whenever someone comes in and sits down for counseling or says to me, I'm confused, Rabbi Carol, immediately, that's not from God. It's not. God doesn't bring confusion. But hell does. He condemns us. This is part of our New Covenant reading today, Romans 8.1. There is no longer any condemnation awaiting those who are in union with the Messiah, Yeshua. These three words that, again, I hear often, I feel guilty. That's a sign that hell is in operation in your life. I feel guilty. That's hell. God brings conviction, which leads to repentance, which leads to peace. God never brings guilt. He says right here, there's no condemnation. So when you're feeling condemned, when you're feeling guilty, that's a strategy of hell against you. He intimidates us so we don't want to fight back. Think of the story of Goliath. It's a story that's so well known. It's it's such a favorite story that people in the secular world are familiar with this story. So Goliath is there, and he intimidates the entire army of Israel. Not one soldier wants to fight him. He intimidates them. Hell wants to intimidate you. Trust me, from this message on, this message series today and next week and in between, hell is going to intimidate you because you're going to start addressing these issues. You're going to start saying, okay, 
I, yeah, that's happened in my life this week. And yeah, and you're going to begin to realize it's hell working and you're going to try to start addressing the issue. Trust me, hell's going to come to intimidate you, to try to get you to back down. But we're told in the book of Messianic Jews, Hebrews 10.39, we are not the kind who shrink back and are destroyed. On the contrary, we keep trusting and thus preserve our lives. If you ever, ever think that retreating is the way to go, this verse tells us clearly it will only lead to your destruction. You need to go forward to fight against the enemy, and we're going to talk about that in a couple of minutes here. Quickly, a few other things. He wears us down. Daniel 7. He will speak words against the Most High and try to exhaust or wear down the Holy Ones of the Most High. How many feel worn down or exhausted? Is it only me? I mean, it, sometimes you are just like, how much more? You feel like bombarded, like Rob Shul says. You're pressed on every side. We know he doesn't give in, and neither are we going to give in. But that's hell's strategy, to wear us down, to make us feel exhausted. Now, if you are exhausted because you don't sleep enough, that's a practical problem. In fact, this is all extra thing, and I'm going to maybe share this article, but I was reading an article that it is good to take power naps. So if you take naps in the afternoon, good. If you don't, you should probably start to do it. And I was reading this article about all the people who used these famous people and successful people, leaders, who always took naps in the afternoon. Now, I used to take naps. I don't as much today, but I'm thinking I'm going to start doing this. But like John F. Kennedy ate his lunch in bed and took a nap right afterwards. I'm like, wow, maybe I'll eat lunch in bed and take a nap right afterwards. That's a good time because that food is then sitting in your stomach and you just, Right? But a lot of people, so don't be exhausted because you're not taking your nap or you're not getting enough sleep. But if you're doing that and you're exhausted, and again, it's not just a physical exhaustion, although it does manifest that way, but it's a spiritual exhaustion. And and again, you just don't want to even participate in the things of God. And it's like dragging yourself to service and to prayer. That's from hell. He is wearing you out, trying to exhaust you, recognize his strategies against you. He discourages us. I thought of the story of Elijah. After God had done the most miraculous things, he goes and he hides in the cave. Why? Because he's discouraged by Jezebel. And God says, you know, I, just look what I just did. But the enemy comes to discourage us. Even though we have seen God do miraculous things and we have testimonies, even here like we were sharing on, on, uh, Thursday night as we're praying for loved ones, you know, uh, Elise Spinner's cousin Ivy has, came with her uh, to service a couple weeks, and she prayed to receive Yeshua. How awesome that is, right? But the enemy will want to, to make us feel like nothing is happening and God's not moving and try to get us to be discouraged. Revelation tells us he's the accuser of the brother and he brings accusation against us. Whenever you feel that, that's hell speaking against you. And then last, again, there's many, many more, but I just want to park on this one for a little bit before we go to the second point today, is that he sets up strongholds in our lives. 
We are told in 2 Corinthians 10.4 that our weapons that we have, they have God's power for demolishing strongholds. So I was reading an article trying to get a better understanding of what this term meant. And this article said a stronghold is a faulty thinking pattern based on lies and deceptions. And again, this is spiritually speaking. That's why that number one thing, him being the father of lies, the inventors of, of lies, is such an important truth for us to grab hold of. Because as I said, everything he el- else he does emanates from that reality of who he is as the inventor father of lies. And so it goes on to say that deception is one of the primary weapons of the devil because it is the building block for a stronghold. What strongholds can do is to cause us to think in ways which block us from God's best. And it went on to say that two of the most destructive strongholds are one, seeing God incorrectly, and two, seeing yourself incorrectly. And it went on to describe an example of how we would see God incorrectly, how the enemy would try to, uh, to set up a stronghold in our mind. And it says the common scene is somebody who is afraid of God and has a hard time feeling his love and presence because they view him as a cruel taskmaster and not as the God that is really uh, there for them. And therefore, they put up their own wall, which makes it hard for them to receive God's love his presence, and to grow close in their relationship with him. It said, if you ever saw your spouse as a rude and cruel dictator, you probably wouldn't be as apt to snuggle up to him and love him as you would if you saw him as a loving and kind person who loves you and cares for you. So if you see somebody as mean, it's hard to receive their love, isn't it? And that's how our perception of God, this article said, can hinder us from feeling his love and presence in our lives. So it's very important to have a correct perception of God if we want to live victorious lives in Messiah Yeshua. So one of the strongholds that the enemy will set up in your mind is this perception of God that's incorrect, seeing God incorrectly. And the second biggest stronghold that he sets up in our mind is this incorrect perception of ourselves. Through the lies that he speaks about us, those lies that I mentioned at the beginning, that we start believing about ourselves. So we believe that we're no good. We believe that our, our life will never change. We believe that nothing good is going to happen to us. And on and on, all those lies, we just begin to believe them. And what happens as we believe them and as we repeat them over ourselves and, and in our mind, a stronghold is established. So these are some of the strategies that hell has against us. But not only do we need to recognize and know who our enemy is, but we need to know who we are, and we need to understand the weapons that we have been given. You are a super conqueror. Turn to your neighbor and tell him that. You are a super conqueror. Romans 8.37 No, in all these things we are super conquerors through the one who has loved us. Some translations say more than conquerors. Where how, how can you be a more than conqueror if you're a, a conqueror? Isn't that enough? But the Greek word that is used here is a word that means to gain a surpassing victory. You know, that we are 
not just conquerors again, but we are more than conquerors to win a decisive, overcoming, overwhelmingly victorious, victorious, victorious as you could be. I mean, it's just beyond being victorious is the concept behind this. And one article that I was reading on this Greek word says, this may come as a revelation to many believers, but we are not supposed to be punching bags for the devil. That's not what God called us to be. He called us to be super conquerors and to walk in victory over every adversity and every strategy of hell against us. Turn to your neighbor and tell them again who they are. You are a super conqueror. I'll revisit that again at the end of the message. But I want us to look quickly at the weapons that we have. We are told that our weapons are not of this world, but they have supernatural power. Again, reading from 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 4. For although we do live in this world, we do not wage war in a worldly way, because the weapons we use to wage war are not worldly. On the contrary, they have God's power for demolishing strongholds. Now, what is God's power like? Well, let me remind you, God's power created the world. God's power brought supernatural plagues against the Egyptians. God's power split the Red Sea. God's power parted the Jordan River. God's power turned the water into wine. God's power opened blinded eyes. God's power took five loaves and two fishes and fed over 5,000 people. God's power raised people from the dead. Now, I don't know about you, but there's nothing in this world or there's nothing that hell has that can compete to the power of God. And we are told that the weapons that he gives us has God's power. Why? Because they're his weapons that he has given to us. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18 describes, is one passage that describes some of our weapons. It says, finally, grow powerful in union with the Lord, in union with his mighty strength. Use all the armor and weaponry that God provides so that you will be able to stand against the deceptive, there's that word deception, lying tactics of the adversary. For we are not struggling, we said this earlier, against human beings, but against the rulers, authorities, and cosmic powers governing this darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So take up every piece of war equipment that God provides so that when the evil day comes, you will be able to resist, and when the battle is won, you will be standing. Therefore, stand. Have the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Put on righteousness for a breastplate and wear on your feet the readiness that comes from the good news of shalom always carry the shield of trust or faith say it always some of you leave your shield at home you put it in the closet whatever you have done with it you are not carrying that shield and we are told always always carry the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation or deliverance along with the sword given by the spirit that is the word of Adonai as you pray at all times with all kinds of prayers and requests in the Ruach 
vigilantly and persistently for all God's people. Now, the imagery being used here by Rav Shaul is that of a Roman soldier and the Jewish people. Uh, reading his writing, knew very well the power of the Roman army and the soldier and understood this imagery. And this imagery is of someone who is on the offensive, ready to do battle, to engage the enemy. And again, that's what we're going to be talking about next week more specifically. But you need to understand what this imagery is about. It's a soldier ready to fight the enemy. God has shown you who your enemy is. He's showing you who you are and the weapons that you have that are mighty and powerful in him. And you need to begin to use them. One of the first things that he talks about here is unity. Oh, where does he say that, Rabbi Carol? Because, again, understand the imagery of what he's saying here, he's talking about Roman soldiers, and he says, stand against your enemy. When he makes that statement, everyone understands what that means. A Roman soldier never stood against the enemy on his own. The Roman soldier always worked as a unit. So we are encouraged that we need to be fighting together for one another and for the kingdom. So I was reading an article by uh, Craig Keener, my friend from I always say he's my friend, and he was my friend from uh, Bible college. We uh, used to do story hour together, if you could believe that, and had Greek class together. So Greg is an awesome scholar. I mean, scholar, beyond scholar, beyond scholar. And so, um, but I was reading in his book about this imagery here, and he said, in the day of battle, Roman soldiers were to stand their ground, not retreat. As long as they stood together on a flat open field and did not break ranks, Their legions were considered virtually invincible. Roman soldiers were to face forward in battle side by side, so the armor needed to protect only their front. Roman soldiers were equipped with large rectangular wooden shields four feet high, the front of which was made of leather, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes. Before battle in which flaming arrows might be fired, the leather would be wetted to quench any fiery darts launched against them. And after the Roman legionaries closed ranks, The front row holding shields forward, and those behind them would hold the shields above them, and they were virtually invulnerable to any attack from the flaming arrows. But the soldiers had to stand together in their battle formation, covering one another by moving as a solid union. A Roman soldier by himself was vulnerable, but as a unified army, a Roman legion was again virtually invincible okay now you if you uh, we like action movies and things like this so if you've ever seen this uh, war i mean I, I can see the imagery right now the front row they have their shields up the guy right behind them has the shield up over the heads so they're all protected so stand to your feet right now no quickly quickly okay Need a little exercise anyway. Now, we are called to be united and walk together. So if we are isolated, and if I'm fighting by my own up here, guess what? I'm vulnerable. But what we are called to do, and I want you to, to do this on this side and on that side, I want you to lock arms with the person, people in your row. Okay? So yeah, if you're in a row by yourself, get into another row, and I want you to, to lock arms. Okay? Now, do you ever remember playing Red Rover? Red Rover, send somebody right over. 
or is that just a Missouri game? No one else? No, you, you don't know the game? Okay. Well, this was the way that you would line up so that they could not break through. So what you had to do, this is the game we played as a kid. Of course, we played some strange games, I've come to realize, from my family. But you would call the person to come over, and they would come running over, and they tried to break through the line. They can never break through when you're like this. But sometimes you get by someone you really don't want to hold, and you're holding your hand like this, right? And guess what, man? They break through that like, no problem. The Roman soldier, and the imagery that Rob Shaul is saying here is you need to get that, join back together. We are, we are told, because I want you to understand this and get this imagery in your head. We are told to stand against the enemy. This is what it means to be standing with one another. Not to be standing like I am up here alone, but to be united together against the enemy. I want you to look at the people around you, and I want you to understand. Do not let hell bring division between you and anyone else in this congregation. Do not let hell bring division between you and someone in your family. You stand as a unit. You stand for one another so that victory will come in your life personally and in this congregation. This is the sense that Rav Shaul is saying. And it, these people who read this book and heard this letter, they understood what Rav Shaul was telling them to do. You can sit down now. So we are going to stand united against the strategies of hell. So that when I hurt, you hurt. So I mentioned, you know, 10 years ago when I was struggling with, with all that nonsense and stuff. And today I'm so much better and, you know, and looking for God to complete the total manifestation of healing in my body. But I can walk three steps and not use an inhaler. This is great, right? I'm not up here coughing and spitting into a, you know, a Kleenex like some of you remember. But I was not alone. You guys prayed and you stood in faith with me. Many, many nights, God woke Lucia up. And she, I was awake at this time and praying for you. And at that, I said, well, at that time, I was struggling. So that was God. Which is just one. I mean, again, we are in this together to fight for one another. That's why when someone has a prayer request and they send it to me, I get on my computer as fast as I can. Sometimes I may not be by my computer, but as soon as I can, I get on there and I send that prayer request out because we are to fight for one another. That's one of the, the weapons he's given us. The belt of truth. Why do we need the belt of truth? Because it refutes the lies of hell. If you don't know the truth, then how can you... Stand against the lie. The word of God is truth. You must read it. You must devour it. You must memorize it. You must meditate on it so you know what it says. Yeshua himself used the word of God against the devil who tried to defeat him and to tempt him in the wilderness. How much more should we recognize we need to use the truth? But you can't use something you don't know. Hint, hint, hint. And my husband and I are going to give you the truth to the best of our ability. But if the only truth you is here once a week when you come here, I'm telling you, you're deficient. You know, vitamin deficiency, you're truth deficient. You need to be in the word every day to get that truth in you so that when the lies of hell come against you, you can refute them with the truth of his word. 
The helmet of salvation, this protects our minds from the lies of hell. The reality is you have been bought with a price. Your salvation was purchased through the precious blood of Yeshua. The mind is a battleground for the enemy. It is because of what Yeshua did for you and me that we have victory in our mind and we can tear down everything that rises up against the knowledge of who he is. And who is he? He is your savior. And that helmet of salvation is meant to protect your mind against the lies of hell. One writer wrote, I believe the helmet refers to the mind controlled by God. Having both knowledge and understanding of the precepts of God and his word, coupled by a willingness to surrender and obey, allows God to control our minds. We need to know why we believe what we believe because Satan's goal is to cause us to lose heart because we cannot be certain of God's word or what we believe. That's why knowing the truth is so important. Breastplate of righteousness, it protects our hearts from the attack of hell. I believe the mind is one of the greatest battle minds uh, uh, of the enemy, but I believe our heart is second. And the enemy will try to get in our heart. We just started in our women's group this past Wednesday night, and if you didn't make it, I'm going to encourage you. You know, we started up the Kavaru groups once a month, the last Wednesday of the month for the most part. Uh, and for the women, we're going to be doing the series the, for the first few months of this year anyway on our heart. And we talked about what's in our heart. The enemy wants to get into our hearts and, and create all sorts of havoc and wreck us. But the breastplate of righteousness is to protect our hearts. And then he says the shield of faith to extinguish the fiery darts of hell. We know we have an enemy with us, and we know he's going to attack us, so it's our faith that will put out the fiery darts of hell. And as I read in that verse there from Ephesians, it says, always take your shield of faith. Always take it. Friends, you cannot afford to let your shield drop down or to leave it by the wayside. You need to have that shield always with you. Now, I talked a little bit about the shield, but I want to go ahead and, and discuss it again a little bit more. In the days of Rav Shaul, the most formidable weapon was that fiery, flaming arrow. This arrow had a heavy iron tip, which was dipped into pitch and set alight. Even the speed of the arrow in the air wouldn't extinguish the flame. It was a deadly, flaming missile, and these arrows would cause panic, within the opposing ranks, especially when they embedded themselves into the shields and began to cause the shield to burn. So a frightened soldier would often throw down his burning shield, leaving not only himself but those around him unprotected. And you can imagine the result. That's why God says, always take your shield. This article went on to say that such a deadly weapon needed a formidable defense, and that is where the shield came in. As I said before, it was a big shield, and it was layered. It had three layers of wood, and in between each layer of wood was a linen uh, cloth, and it had an outer layer of leather or some type of animal hide, and to hold it all together was this bronze strap. So if it was hit by a flaming arrow, it would still burn. So what happened is before the soldier went into battle, as we shared earlier, they would soak those shields in water so that when the arrow came against him, it would be extinguished. 
So we are encouraged to take our shield of faith. How do you build up your faith? We are told by Rob Shul to build ourselves up in our most holy faith. How? By praying in the Ruach. I believe this means praying in tongues. We are a spirit-filled, ruach-filled congregation. I believe that that is partially what it means. And so many of us do not pray in our heavenly language, and you're not building yourself up in your faith. I also mean that I think it means to be led by the ruach when you're going into prayer, that you're listening to him so that you can pray. The other way that we are told that our faith is built up, it says faith comes by hearing and hearing through the what? Word of God. So through the Ruach and through the Word, your faith is built up. And you need to build your faith up against the fiery darts of hell. Next is the sword of the Spirit, which we know is the Word of God. It's the only offensive weapon listed here. And as I said, Rabbi Michael is going to speak more extensively next week as he encourages us to engage the enemy. But once again, I want to remind us that we need to know the Word of God or we can never use it. If you don't know God's word, how can you use it to fight the enemy? And last thing that I want to point out from here, this passage here, is that we need to pray. Verse 18 says, pray at all times and with all kinds of prayers and requests. I was reading an article about the ineffectiveness of prayer, and I'd written this article had eight different reasons, but I'm just only going to share the eighth one. Why prayer is ineffective is because we simply don't pray. Right? I've shared it several times and even shared it in our Wednesday night women's meeting again. We were talking about Nehemiah and how he had a, a, a heavy burden heart, but that heavy burden heart led him to pray. And fast. Prayer is a powerful weapon that God has given to us. And as we pray for one another, we're going to see breakthrough and release. If you have never, ever made it to a prayer meeting, again, this is not condemnation or anything. It's just an encouragement. Make it to one this week. We have one at 3 o'clock today. We have one on Thursday night from 6.30 to 7.30. All I can tell you is that sometimes the presence of God comes in so strong. There's intercession. There's, it's just powerful to come together. Prayer is a weapon that God has given to us. So as I close today, I want to encourage you, and I want my ushers to come forward here because I have something I want to hand out. I want to encourage you to recognize that you have an invisible enemy. And the effects of his strategy are seen in our lives today. The enemy would get a foothold in your marriage. He would try to ruin your finances. He tries to wreak havoc in, in the lives of your children. He holds our unsaved ones, loved ones in bondage, and he has blinded the eyes of our Jewish people. But the good news is we are super conquerors. And out of nothing else, if you only remember one thing, from this message, I want you to remember who you are, and that's that you are a super conqueror. So I borrowed an emblem. We do like superhero movies as well. So I thought that fitting the Superman shield. But the scripture here, Romans 8.37, you are a super conqueror. You're going to take one of these, and if 
one of your family members is serving in the nursery or downstairs, take it for them as well. And I want you not to stuff this in your purse or in your pocket and forget about this. I want you to put this in a place that you will see every day this week. And if nothing else, I want you to meditate on this truth and I want you to speak it over yourself. And this is how I would do it. I would say, in all these things, I am a super conqueror. Let's try that. In all these things, I am a super conqueror through the one who has loved us. So our ushers here are going to hand these out. Again, I want you to take these and put them in a prominent place that you will see every day. And I want to remind you of who you are. And as a super conqueror, even though the enemy has all these strategies and tactics against you, you and I can be victorious because we are super conquerors and because Adonai has given us every weapon we need to overcome the strategy of hell. And Rabbi Michael will share with us next week how we can most effectively use those weapons against the enemy. Amen? So once you receive your card, I want you to stand to your feet. I'm going to speak the ironic benediction to us. I want to remind those who are visiting us today, if you would take that card that you filled out. If you didn't get one, you can see the ushers. They'll give you one to fill out and turn it in so you can receive a gift that you have for us, a gift that we have for you. And uh, just, again, encourage each one of you to walk as a super conqueror that you are. Amen. So I want to bless you with the ironic benediction. May Adonai bless you and keep you. May Adonai make his face shine on you and show you his favor. May Adonai lift up his face towards you and give you shalom. In this way, they are to put my name on the people of Israel so that I will bless them. May you walk in the shalom and peace of Adonai. May you walk as a super conqueror that you are this week. Amen. Rabbi Michael is going to just conclude with a song of worship. I'm going to invite the prayer team to come up who's here, Adeline, Rita, Evan, and Gary. If she feels like it, if you need any prayer, we're here to pray with you, come into agreement. We'll see some of you in Hebrew class and hopefully a lot of you from prayer today, 3 to 4 o'clock. Thank you. Have a good week.